What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm your host, Jordan. With me is Jared. How's it going, Jared? It's going well. We got a fiery one for you today. So. We literally had to stop the presses. We were going to talk about Flat Earth today and Cold Moonlight. We're still going to do that. But uh, Jared sent me a video today of uh, Sean McDowell, who, if you're not familiar with him, is a Christian apologist. He's usually, I like him. He's one of my favorites, actually, usually pretty fair and even-handed guy but he had some spicy takes today <laughs> <laughs> yeah this was one of those episodes when i was listening because i i watched most of his content i like to stay up to a date with what's going on and he has some good interviews but today i was like sean like <laughs> my brother really, in christ <laughs> really bro like <laughs> yes it's rough so uh <laughs> the topic today is uh, is god a vindictive bully that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, but before we get into that, today's fallacy of the day is the straw man fallacy. Hmm, straw man. Hopefully we don't straw man either of the people we're talking about today. But yeah. straw man is simply just setting up an easy version of your opponent's argument that you can refute or knock down, right? A so. straw man of the argument, if you right. will. Basic, yeah, it's, it's you set up, and it has to be inaccurate. So you set up a, a fake version of the argument. Usually it's kind of like superficially similar, mm -hmm. but uh, a different argument that you're saying is their argument. And then you beat up on the fake version of the argument you made. Right. The idea being that the outside exterior of the argument looks somewhat like their argument, but everything in the middle has nothing to do. Right. Um, so it's possible to do this by accident if you just weren't listening very well. Uh or you know aren't very careful or charitable so uh in engaging with your interlocutor one great way to avoid straw manning is to speak if you're if you're talking to someone directly is to speak back to them i heard you say this is that right you know is that accurate? kind of putting your own words and then they can you can make sure you're not straw manning them uh if you're not engaging with them directly you can do another thing which we've covered before steel manning them where you try to take what they said as charitably as possible, like try to say a, a, the best light it could be for them. Maybe even beef up their case a little bit, right? Like, right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they made some mistakes and you fix it for them before right. you attack the argument, you know? So definitely better to go steel than straw. So, uh, mm. today into the video, uh, we're going to drop a link to the video in the description. So you make sure that we're not straw manning, uh, we are going to be showing clips, but it's like, uh, what an hour and 20 minutes long and we're not going to be here for three hours. So, uh, we're we going to be, could be here for three hours. We, There's that much good stuff to cover. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Sean recently, and by recently, I mean, what, four days ago, four days ago yep. at time of recording, uh, on the 23rd of September, he had a gentleman named Paul Copen. On him on his show, and Paul uh, wrote a book you may be familiar with called uh, "Is God a Moral Monster?" And the new book he's uh, he's promoting is "Is God a Vindictive Bully?" And so to promote this book, he and Sean talked about some problematic uh, verses from the Old Testament, some more harsh language, um, stories that Christians might struggle with, and uh, Dr. Copen describes why they aren't a problem why god was justified or why it's okay basically uh and that's what he attempted to do anyways yeah there was an attempt there was an attempt to do that uh, i i don't think it was particularly successful but there was an attempt 
Uh, so what we're going to do, we're not going to try to cover everything you said, because there's a lot. Um, we're going to kind of jump around to various stories um, and leave timestamps and stuff. Uh, before we get into that, just kind of some housekeeping. It seems, I'm not super familiar with Dr. Copen's work, but it seems like he is approaching these narratives as if they actually happened, at least in some sense. So he doesn't ever seem to go the route of this was allegory or, you know, well, that didn't really happen or whatever. Uh, so right. when he talks about Noah's flood, he talks about Noah's flood as if a flood actually happened that did the things it was said to do. So when he talks about Moses and the ark and all that stuff, he talked about it actually being a thing. So, yeah. right. So that seems to be his position. Um, and just for those who I know, I listen to everything at like two times speed. I'm going to be playing these clips at one and a half speed for my own sanity. So just be aware of that if you speed it up. Yeah. Okay. So if, yeah, if you're the kind of person who speeds it up, that's fine. These if you're the kind of person who likes it slow, you're going to have to play like 0.75 to get it back to normal speed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's jump right in. Uh, so, oh, there we go. Professionals. There we go. Okay. So uh, we're going to start early on in the video. He's talking about Abraham and Isaac. When you take Isaac, for example, Keep in mind that this was the promised child that God had given to Abraham and Sarah. And God said that through Isaac, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, when Abraham is going to offer Isaac, he is confident that he's going to return with Isaac. And so he is going up to Mount Moriah. But before he leaves, he tells his servants, we will go and worship and we will return. So for those who might not be familiar, because they don't spend a ton of time kind of breaking down these stories, they kind of assume you're more or less <laughs> yeah. familiar with them. Um, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis 22, uh, God commands I, uh, Abraham, who's like the progenitor of the Israelites, you know, father Abraham, many sons, you know, and uh, he has a son, Isaac. There's been some prophecies about him. And he says, hey, Abraham, if you really believe in me, to prove your devotion I want you to go up this mountain, bring Isaac, and sacrifice him to me. Yeah. Um, seems kind of just crazy to me, first of all. But in so Christians have apologists, but Jews also have apologists. And in the Jewish apolo uh, apologetic world, even back like in the day, like the Talmud and the Mishnah and all this stuff, uh, the term for this uh, in English is called the binding of Isaac. But in Jewish, it's the Akedah. Uh, which literally just means the binding of Isaac. And it's something that's been wrestled with with the text for a long time. So this isn't just like some Christian fringe thing where like we have to try to excuse this. We've been trying to come up with reasons why this isn't immoral for centuries. <laughs> and yeah. I still think they keep need, they still need to be looking because what yeah. our friends here just said uh, is that, and I've heard this, I heard this when I was in church, is that it's okay because Abraham knew he had faith in God's promise. God had promised that Isaac, he would like be the person that Israel would come from, right? And so he can't do that if he's dead. So Abraham knows that Isaac is going to come out of this alive, right? Yeah, so this, he's just literally just going through the motions, like, right. which is that really a test at that point? I, I mean, I guess on the <laughs> one hand, it's kind of like, do you really believe the promises? But like, why? Why are we going through this rigmarole? First of all, God knows whether or not you believe, right? So why do the test to begin with? But secondly, and I think more importantly, even if you accept all of that, even if sure. you accept that Abraham believed that Isaac was going to come back, heck, maybe even Isaac believed it. I don't know. It's still child abuse. Like Isaac is still being tied down or whatever on this altar and his dad's standing over him with a knife ready to plunge it into his chest. That's not something you just get up and like, oh man, that was close, you know? <laughs> He's like, 
Hey, Dad, where are we going? Oh, we're going to make a sacrifice. All right, cool. Wood check, knife check. Where's the lamb? Where's the Oh, yeah, don't worry we, about that, son. God will provide. Are we doing a goat <laughs> yeah. or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 This so this would do actual real mental harm to Isaac. Mm. Even if the knife never came anywhere. I mean, imagine your mom tied you to the kitchen table and like sit over you with a knife. And then <laughs> as she's about to plunge it in, it's like, uh, wait, no, it's okay. God said it was fine. I don't need to do it. Uh, <laughs> Her cell phone Woo! rings. Oh my gosh. Uh, okay, yeah. I guess we're done. Like, do you think you'd be okay? Like that's definitely something that, like that's going to do real harm to you. And, but this is just kind of swept under the rug because Isaac didn't die. Therefore it's fine. Yeah. If we're trying to establish whether or not this is a moral act or in this case, something a vindictive bully would do. Um, right. And so you just explain away one thing, but you still have this other problem or you create another right. problem you haven't really dealt with. Right. And this is going to be a theme because God, the God they're trying to defend, the reason that this whole thing is happening is because God is said by Christians such as these that to be perfectly benevolent. He's all loving. Right. Which means every act he does has to be infused with love. He can't do anything evil in any way. He has to do the max, the maximally good thing in all instances. That's by definition. And so the question is, is this act maximally good? I don't think it's even minimally good, but <laughs> maximally good. Right. Even giving even steel manning their position, we still have to deal with the traumatic effects that it would cause on a child. Which is and if you're causing harm as a way to test whether this person loves you, that's not a good act. That That's not a healthy relationship, right? No. Okay. Yeah. So speaking of unhealthy relationships, let's go to the next clip. Uh, we're going to go to our friend Noah. Uh, they're going to talk about Noah's flood and why that's okay. Go on this. But Genesis 6 through 8, God floods the earth, men, women, and children. How is God not just smiting people in a way that just seems like complete overkill? Great question, Sean. Well, a couple of things to remember in this text, and again, there's question about how to interpret the uh, this uh, this story. Uh, sure. There are, you know, so someone like William Lane Craig says, "I'm not sure what to make of the flood." I'm gonna skip. He just there, so he talks about like how other people have interpreted the flood, kind of historically, right. uh, whether it's a real narrative or whatever. Then at 43:50, he talks about his own uh, interpretation. Uh, an increase in wickedness and so forth. And so when we look at this uh, flood scenario, one, keep in mind that this is done with a grieved heart. God is grieved about this and reluctantly sends judgment. Secondly, God is simply finishing what human beings have begun. They have, they've gone so far down, morally speaking, that the picture is that of irretrievability. There's just no coming back. There's no redemption. There is no help for those who have sunk so low. And so God says, I'm going to finish what they have begun. Um, question. So <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, this is very much one of those like, um, I don't want to do this to you. You're making me do this right. to you. Why so do you therefore make me I angry? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Why, why do you make me hit you? That's what this is. This is bad. <laughs> God was reluctant to do it. Oh, well, I well said, it's okay then. So why didn't you just say so? He didn't want to drown the world, so it's fine, I guess. The reason this immoral act is okay is because he was reluctant to do it. And That's notice true. he doesn't talk about the fact that their children, because one of the main points of this question is that there are children who are innocent, who haven't done any. Let's just assume that the rest of the right. world was being bad and going against God. There's kids in there who haven't had a chance to sin yet or do stuff, right? 
Exactly. Like it says in the verses and they, he alludes to it that the world was being evil. Everyone's thoughts were being towards evil. And I, let's leave aside whether that justifies drowning. Because sure. okay. <laughs> I think that's questionable. But let's just say for a second that they were evil enough to justify drowning. Uh, yeah, that like everybody, every single person, the baby fresh out of the womb, that guy needs to be drowned. How about the animals? What do the kittens do? Like, right. And I'm sure. So we haven't talked about like pro-life, pro-choice, but I guarantee there were some pregnant women. So abortion's 100%. cool too. You know, it's like one hundo. Like moral of the story, you know, if you want to, what what would God do if your neighbor is a bad guy? You should drown his dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's I'm just crazy, man. Like, and I thought it, nobody was beyond redemption. What happened to that? <laughs> yeah, and let's not let's not forget that this was God's plan to begin with, right? So. This was his perfect creation that he, he I mean, obviously the fall, but like <laughs> he wasn't surprised by this allegedly. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone was so bad, including the babies. They had to be drowned to death. Like there was no other solution. There was no other way. It, if like, okay, let's say that they had to be destroyed. They were going to do horrible evil. Maybe every single one of them was a little hit. So we're doing minority report here, right? Like they were right. all going to do some bad shit. Yeah, exactly. Is drowning really the way to do that? You know, it, Thanos would disagree with you, but right, I'd argue Thanos <laughs> is more moral than God is in this case, right? Because when the people are snapped, they're just gone. You know, I, just, I don't want to go, Mister Stark. But you know, he's not like in pain; he just yeah, he's scared. <sighs> you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah definitely a problem. Uh, <laughs> so, if we're gonna ask the question, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Just because he was reluctant to do it doesn't matter. Doesn't doesn't matter. And just because the humans might have been doing bad things still doesn't make it moral. It doesn't right? it doesn't necessarily make it moral to kill them. It it's certainly like I find it hard to believe that every well, none of this ever happened, obviously. Obviously, it's all myth. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find it hard to believe that um every single one of them would have been irredeemably evil. Even the babies, even the toddlers. Well, toddlers right. are pretty can be pretty bad but even today for states and countries that still have the death penalty we try to do it in an ethical manner you know the lethal injection right. they even like anest uh, like um, sanitize the injection spot before just in case right. they don't get an infection like i mean yeah and we can i i don't personally support the death penalty at all but like if you're gonna do it if that's you're my whole point right yeah it, then you should do it ethically uh, not by drowning and i think this also um we touched on this in a previous episode. This is an example of where trying to force this to be literal and not taking it as it was written as myth um, can be a problem because uh, because you're you're viewing this entire book as a moral handbook, as like speaking truth to you right now today as a way to live and a way to reveal God's character. Um, when in fact, uh, it, the reason that drowning is used is not because God wants to water, waterboard kittens. It's because uh, it has a ritual. Yeah, yeah. It orig it, it's it's a literary device. Originally, the the earth was water. Like he was, God's over the waters of the deep when he begins. Right. The whole in their cosmology, everything was water, and he separated two waters: the waters above and the waters below to make the dry land. That was the cosmology of the Hebrews. And so when he's like, ah, I don't want it anymore, what does he do? He returns water back the way it was. It's, it's poetry, right? Yes. 
if you interpret it the way it was written, or you can interpret it as God was drowning kittens. Like, I guess that's right. the way you can go. There's also the ritualistic aspect where water has a cleansing effect too. So that there's that, you know, even more yeah. levels of poetry in there. So but how so, poetic. Yeah. <laughs> poetic. Drowning kittens. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> speaking of animals, uh, we're going to move from animals being the victim to animals now being used as a tool of more uh, murder. So yeah. this is the one about Elisha calling on bears to kill kids, right? So like, yeah. All right. Second Kings chapter two, where Elisha calls down bears to maul 42 children just because they call him baldy. Now understood that way in any other context, you and I would say that is outrageous. That's morally egregious. How can this possibly be just for God? I, so I, I love that he says this in yes. any other context we would agree now granted he says understood this way and they're going to try to argue that it shouldn't be understood this way but i think this is like in any other context if you took any of these things we're going to we've talked about the things we're going to talk about if you ascribe these acts to any other being there's no way that sean and paul and anybody else would be defending them that should be a huge red flag right like that's like the outsider's test of faith right right yeah it's like um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that 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 should that that should cause you to pump the brakes. <laughs> God to do such a thing through one of the key prophets in the Old Testament. Right. The passage that is being referred to, of course, we need to keep in mind that, uh, well, the the baldy portion. Uh, so he talks about some uh, about him being bald and Elijah, the person he took over from, had a lot of hair. Not sure why that's relevant, but I mean, I guess he just got. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's because everybody was used to a hairy guy, so it's okay to make fun of him now that the next guy's bald, right? So obviously, okay, yeah. So, so when Elisha is being being severe, keep in mind the judgments or the punishments that are threatened to Israel if they disobey the covenant. One of them, as we read at the end of Leviticus, says that God will send wild beasts against them, and they will be bereft of their children. And that is exactly what happens. So that term bereft is used in the narrative when Elisha goes to Jericho. The land. So, so <laughs> it's okay. it's okay it's okay because God warned them. Yeah, they are yeah. mocking uh, and, and violating the covenant because they're not listening to the prophet who has been sent from God. Who, if you listen to him, will bring fruitfulness, will bring blessing. But if you resist him, there will be judgment that comes. And so it's not as though there's this cranky prophet who is annoyed with these little kids and just sends out these bears. This is the judgment of God. This is what God has promised for the, against those who violate his covenant, who refuse to listen to his voice, uh, that they will be bereft of their children. So, Dude. Literally, the question is, is it wrong for God to do it? And his answer is, it's not wrong for God to do it because God did it because he said he was yeah. going to do it. Like God, God told them this would be the punishment and then he punished them. Therefore, it's OK. Hey, Jared, <laughs> if you don't immediately give me a million dollars, I'm going to drive over there and shoot you. Um, I don't have it. So. Well, I warned you. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I told you I was coming. Like, that's like a mob boss, you know? Like, like, what is going on here? But all it does is it pushes the question of morality back to that original Leviticus passage where he made up the rules to begin with, right? So, exactly. like, right. Uh, so, yes, God told them it was going to happen. And so, yes, this is a prophet, and they are making fun of a prophet of God. So, okay. I could understand God being irritated at that. Maybe sending a bear to tear them apart might be uh, a little extreme, you know, maybe. Uh, and I, I should point out uh, one of the parts we skipped was um, 
them clarifying that kids in this the, the word means more like young man the same word is used for like david before he fights goliath so these were like young unmarried men so not necessarily like children but i mean that doesn't make yeah. a little better, i guess but i guess that's one way to interpret it but like still they're people either, either way they're 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 they're, they're <laughs> yeah. still people what they did let, let's let's not get it twisted what they did was they saw this dude who didn't have a lot of hair they made fun of him for balding and a bear came and ripped them apart like th- yeah i don't i mean there's no way you can make that moral or okay just be and and his answer is just crazy that there's no justification at all like he doesn't even attempt to yeah he doesn't that's the thing he doesn't even try to justify it he he states that it happened and god did it and that's as far as it goes and that's one of the common things with the answers i mean like so if you get a chance to watch the entire video i highly encourage you if you want to get pissed off for a Mm -hmm. while but um each one is literally just a hand waving or like a special pleading he doesn't actually address the issue he just spits out some you know academic language and says we well, have to remember in the context and then blah, then he gives a a thing well, that says god says it's okay but like and it is true that you need to know the context whenever you're reading something historical right so if this were the case and uh I, I, this this will become really relevant in two more points later but if this were the case that this was just a writing from the ancient Near East, and this was like their morality of the day, and so we'd like we'd want to take that into consideration when we're like thinking about these people. Like, yes, the things they did were awful, but it was the context of the time. So, like, relative to their surroundings, maybe they weren't so bad. Okay, that that's one way. But that we're not talking about them; we're talking about God. Right. It doesn't have There's, a social context. Like, yeah, if and if we're talking about the. Um morality right and there's this concrete morality outside of nature god's morality constantly told has to be objective it can't change yeah at that point so okay so uh those weren't kids allegedly uh so let's get to some kids let's let's we love killing kids yeah uh so now we're gonna go to egypt and get to passover we don't actually love killing kids by the way no intense as well what about killing of the firstborn throughout all of Egypt? You think about all these families who had nothing to do with this and they lose their firstborn oldest child because of something Pharaoh did. That seems pretty harsh. Right. Uh, just in case you don't <laughs> know what he's talking about. I don't even know. Okay, so you, you've seen Moses, let my people go, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. like the Disney version or whatever. Uh, did they do this one in the Disney version? I don't remember. I don't know if they did in the Disney version, but um, watch the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, and you get it pretty good. Yeah, Moses is trying to get his people free from slavery, and they send plagues, and then the last plague is a spirit that kills the firstborn of everyone who doesn't splash blood on their door. Right. And in, said, in previous in the story... Um, the Pharaoh actually has all the firstborn of Israel killed because they're trying to find the, the prophet. Um, trying to kill kill Moses. Yeah, exactly. So, There are a couple of considerations here. Uh, keep in mind, the Egyptians had been involved in the attempt to get rid of the baby boys of the Israelites, of the Hebrews, uh, that they were to be drowned in the Nile River. Uh, that uh, you also have as, in order to sustain... Wait, can you pause real quick? Yeah. To- so, uh, I just want to point out, He's have he's objecting to the fact that somebody was drowning babies, right? Which hmm. wait, <laughs> I feel I feel like we've heard that before. Wasn't I don't know. This is, okay, just, who did that recently? Yeah, we just talked about this. So. 
No, Sorry. no, I, you're right. You're right. I forgot. Wasn't it, it's okay when God does it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Sorry. <laughs> My bad. Uh, to Exodus chapter four, where we read about Israel as God's firstborn, and that Pharaoh was seeking to do harm to God's firstborn. And as a reminder, again, this is kind of because Pharaoh is hard his heart and so on, uh, that God, you know, in the tenth plague brings uh, death to those who are the firstborn. But keep in mind that to, in order to keep servitude or slavery in Egypt going. This was a widespread institution. It wasn't as though it was just Pharaoh who is subjugating people, but others were complicit in this. Mm. And so in the, uh, in the... How many babies owned slaves, Paul? <laughs> how many baby-owning... How many toddlers were out there with a whip cracking them over the Hebrews <laughs> building the pier? Like, oh my God, are you serious <laughs> right now? I, I, Paul, uh, it, Sean, it gets worse, dude. That's... In, in a minute, Sean... Uh, Puts it super succinctly. Even refer to some uh, ancient uh, traditions or stories, oh, which sorry, talks about 48. the Ferguson literature, uh, perhaps like Nazi Germany, for example. It wasn't just Hitler. There were thousands of prison guards, thousands of snitches, thousands of other people also complicit. That's a helpful point. And before reading your book, I don't know how I super made helpful. That connection so of helpful. the Israelites, children being sacrificed and killed. In a sense, God is bringing justice back onto the new Pharaoh. What had been done to Israel? Very, very fair. Now this. Wait, wait, wait. Very, very fair. I cannot believe this. Like, okay, okay, Pharaoh did some bad things, and the Egyptians own people as slaves, which, let's keep in mind, I want you to put a pin in that, that they are saying that is bad, and it is wrong. That that it it is part of what justifies God killing the firstborn children, is the fact that they had this institution of slavery, and it was so wrong that it justified widespread baby murder. Remember that. Yeah. It's oh, and the important. fact that they killed our babies so we can kill their babies. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> killing babies is wrong. And I think it's so wrong that I'm going to kill your baby. It's like, what? Uh, do you remember, uh, uh, did you ever see the DC Comics uh, Suicide Squad with Peacemaker? When he's like, I love peace so much. I don't care how many men, women, and children I have to kill to get it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It is killing... This is I, I can't I'm going apoplectic. I don't even know yeah. how to justify this. You are you are literally killing children. The firstborn babies, and maybe not all of them are babies. Some of them might be grown at this point, but some of them are definitely freaking babies. You're killing every child, and your justification is, well, they did it first. That's not justice, that's revenge. Yeah. And and the fact that Sean's like, oh, well, very fair. Like, what how is that fair? Like, let's not forget, let's not lose sight of the fact that the people being punished, the people dying, are not the ones who did anything. Right. Yeah. Just because Nazis were complicit in, you know, the Holocaust doesn't, it's bad, but that doesn't mean that because the Egyptians were complicit in slavery, it's okay to kill their fucking kids. Well, imagine if we, and, and don't get me wrong, America did a lot of bad things in World War II. Okay. But. Had we, in the Nuremberg trials, Nuremberg trials, found a Nazi guilty and therefore pulled his kid out and shot him in the courtroom, that would be a war crime. Like Yes, that's the equivalent of this, right? But that is literally what this guy is doing. Oh, <laughs> they did bad things, therefore I'm going to execute your kid. Like, what is happening? And that's their justification, which makes it moral. Like, I don't see how, how do you look at that and go, oh, well, that makes sense. That's totally moral at that point. Like, right. And, and I think if you, if you pulled out any context, any, like he said before, if in any other context, 
this would be obviously and immediately immoral. And I honestly don't know. Like, I guess part of this is me just declaring that it's immoral, but I don't know how to describe why killing babies is immoral. (laughs) Like killing an innocent person who has done nothing wrong, no matter how you feel about the capital, about capital punishment, killing a person who has done nothing wrong for the sins of some other person is wrong. Well, you're, you're an atheist, so you have no grounding for that. So you're right. Your You're morals right. don't matter. But. What do I know? I should listen to the guy who kills babies. That's the one. That's where we should be going for our moral fa- foundation. That guy. Oh, man. Freaking Billy Baby Murderer over here. <laughs> so the level of, there's a level of cognitive dissonance going on here, too. Because for somebody like Sean, who's very, you know, he seems very thoughtful. But the fact that he cannot see how this is still immoral, you know, even after getting this hand-waving explanation like and in all fairness they are going to come back to this so they they released this last week in a couple days from our recording they're gonna they like solicited questions from the audience yeah and they're gonna like try to revisit it so maybe they'll have seen the error of their ways and he'll burn all his copies of his book and everything will be fine but (laughs) i wouldn't lay money on it okay speaking of money you know what you can buy with money? <laughs> Wait, you, well, I know what you could buy back, yeah. back in ancient Israel. Remember that thing I told you to put a pin in? The thing yeah. that was so bad that it justified baby murder? We're going to talk about that now. We're going to talk about slavery, except don't call it slavery because reasons. Now, again, we can't remotely do this justice. But tell us just maybe one or two or a couple. There it goes again. Maybe even related to whether or not we should use the term slavery when talking about the practice we see in the Old Testament. If they were owning people as property, it's slavery, bro. Like, Yeah. And they literally say in there, get your slaves. So like, there's, you know. Okay. Right, we can All do right. this. We can- <laughs> we'll make it to this one. Slavery. When it's mentioned in scripture, a lot of people assume that this is talking about something that's tantamount to antebellum slavery in the U.S. South. And Red herring. Not the case at all. Uh, there were provisions for uh, for those who are servants. I think servant is a better term. Uh, and it is a neutral term, too. It could simply mean worker, uh, but is often related to a contractual arrangement that comes out of poverty. And so a person will sell himself or sell his family, as it were, into service. Wait, wait, wait. The person selling himself? Like his wait. property. Selling. He sold himself. What's Is there a word for that? Um indentured servitude is It'll that the right word okay wait i can't remember yeah <laughs> so it's basically when you talk about selling yourself it's a contractual sort of a thing and that you just say i'm going to be an indentured servant until my until i can pay off my debt you know again maximum uh, being six years that you do that unless you align yourself to the person for whom you're working you say i, I love my master my employer and uh, you align yourself with that person permanently so many things so- wrong in the past two seconds by the way uh, yeah okay so <laughs> to start with if I had a freaking dime for every time a Christian apologist tried to defend slavery as something that was moral, I could buy an island to send them all to. Like, this is disgusting. And they they try to, ju- you saw it right here. Oh, well, it's not the same as slavery in the South. They were owning people as property. Yeah. How, yeah, it, it, you're right. It wasn't the same as the South. It was still bad. Right. It that's was the whole so point. Bad. And that they so they do things like they point to the fact that they had rules. Well, there were there were rules that governed uh, what you could do with a slave. Well, first of all, there were rules in the antebellum South about what you could do to a slave. 
were they followed? Were they enforced? Did it stop horrible abuses? No. So yeah. uh, all we have is the law book here. We, I, I mean, I don't know if we have any. I doubt we have many writings from slaves about their treatment. Uh, but I'm going to go way out on a limb and say it probably wasn't great, uh, considering there are rules about uh, the ways you can treat slaves. Um, one of my favorites is Exodus. So right after the verse they're talking about, um, Exodus 21, uh, verses 20 to 21 says, anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result. But they are not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two, since the slave is their property. It's almost like they figured out how to justify stuff by reading the book in which they're trying to justify stuff from. So it, you can beat a person with a stick, and as long as they don't die within two days, they can die just more than two days later, then it's fine? This is the standard? This is what makes it okay? Oh, and and uh, let's, do you remember when he just said, uh, let, let me rewind and, and find it again because it, it's super important. The part when he says, "I love my master." I love being a slave. That's awesome. My debt scale again, maximum uh, being six years. Temporal term too. It could simply mean worker, uh, but is often related to a contractual arrangement that comes out of poverty. And so a person will sell himself or sell his family, as it were, into servitude because they have no option. So it's basically when you talk about selling yourself, it's a, it's a contractual sort of a thing, and that you just say, "I'm going to be an indentured servant until my until I can pay off my debt scale again, maximum uh, being six years." That you do that unless you align yourself to the person for whom you're working. You say, "I, I love my master, my employer," and uh, you align yourself with that person permanently. Now that sounds great, right? Like. Okay, slavery's wrong, but what if the person wants to do it, right? The part of the problem is it's involuntary. There's bondage, the mistreatment, but maybe he, this this slave owner is awesome. Maybe he's just the best, and he treats them with kindness and love, and it's just it's just kittens and rainbows everywhere, right? And why not? Why not stay? Well, apparently, uh, there's a couple reasons why, and within the same text that they're reading. Yeah. Um, yeah, the reason they wouldn't because if they left, they'd have to leave their freaking family. There's some context here that they are conveniently just, just skipping right over, just bouncing right by. Uh, so let me just read you the verse. So what we're talking about is Exodus 21. These are the laws for having Hebrew slaves, which we haven't mentioned yet. These yes. are that <clears throat> only apply to Jewish slaves. If they are slaves that are not Hebrew, these rules don't apply. But though, leave that aside for a second. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he has to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. So seven years, boom, he's free, right? Sounds like a sweet deal so far, okay? If he comes alone, he has to go free alone. But if he has a wife with him when he comes, she has to go with him. So if they come to you married, then the wife leaves. Still great so far. But what if something happens in the interim, right? Verse four, if his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children belong to the master and only the man shall go free. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children, I do not want to go free. Then his master takes him before the judges. He takes him to a door or doorpost, pierces his ear with an awl, and then he'll be a servant for life. So what's actually happening is this single guy was sold himself or was sold into slavery, was given, here's a wife. Now you have a family. And seven years later, it's like, hey, you like your kids? Well, if you want to see them ever again, you better get your ear pierced. Yeah. And how many people are like, this is like a loophole in the system, right? Like this is how you avoid taxes. 
Hey, look at my pretty servant here. Isn't she nice? The next thing you know, you have kids with her, and next, boom, now you're locked in. The other thing you talked about was the fact that Hebrew slaves, he keeps talking about how this is all like voluntary, like indentured servitude, like they're going in there to pay off a debt. That's one specific type of slavery within the Old Testament. There's other slavery where you literally just take people as ravages of war, like they're pillaging. Right. Doesn't talk about that at all. No. And those people aren't selling themselves into shit. Those people lost a war and they got captured. And yes, in the cultural context of the time, it's not just the Hebrews that did it. Everybody did it. That's if you lost a war, you got enslaved to the people who won. That's the way it was. And if this were just a book written by ancient Near Eastern people depicting the culture of their time, that would be fine. But this is supposed to be the law dictated to Moses by the omnipotent, omniscient master of the universe who should effing know better. And the question we have here, is he a vindictive bully? The answer is yes, because a vindictive bully is the kind of person that doesn't tell somebody it's not okay to own people as property. Right. That uh, Later on, after he's done answering the questions, uh, Paul Copen is like talking to his interlocutors. He's like, what would you say to Richard Dawkins or something? And uh, part of what he says is that... Um, God is working with people in the way they are. He like approached them in the way they are. And it's kind of like this law was imperfect for imperfect people. And it's supposed to get them to perfection, which I, I remember saying this when I was a Christian to, to justify the things in the old Testament. Well, yeah, things were bad, but God was working with imperfect tools. I think that undersells God and his abilities by a lot. First of all, these people are not like some foreign species, like some, 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 like, I don't know, pre-homo sapiens creature that can't comprehend these concepts. These were people just like us. If you took one of them born out of the womb and teleported in the future, they would be indistinguishable from anyone else, right? That they, they would fit right in because they're just humans. They're humans in a different cultural context, a cultural context that God is playing the hand and shaping. The, the book that is shaping their culture is ostensibly being written by God right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is the time, man. If you want to make cultural changes, now's the time. And it's not like um, he wasn't doing that, right? Because the whole point about the, the Israelite story was that they were different. They were set apart from right. the people in the lands around them. And like God said, let's go in here. All right, we're going to do some bad stuff. We're going to clear house, but we're going to do it so that way you guys can get set up and you can be my people and you can be different in the light of the world. So he's already in the process of making them different. To the culture. And it's not like he didn't have room. This isn't this isn't cosmic Twitter. It's not like he had a word count he couldn't go past. Oh I'm a, oh I got to 140 characters. I'm oh, my bad. I spent so much time talking about, you know, not cooking lamb in their milk. I forgot. And to making say sure milk. the tassels on your clothes weren't mixed fabrics, right. you know, and, like and that box I gave you, make sure you put it through rings. It's super important, or I will <laughs> literally kill you. <laughs> Which is another like, there's so many things we didn't even get into. But like yeah. You couldn't spare a word to say, hey, by the way, don't own people as property. You couldn't say, hey, if someone's down on their luck, here's how you set up a welfare system. You couldn't do that? You didn't have time? And there's an obvious reason why. Like, you can either believe that God was just evil and didn't care. You can believe that he was lazy. You can believe any of those things. Or... You could just say, well, if there wasn't a God, what would happen? What you'd, ha- what you'd have is people writing a book 
that was imbued with the morals of their time and it would be a, a time capsule of the morality of their day, which is exactly what this is. It's a hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't think we want to cover any more of them, but something that uh, Copeland says at the end of this, this stream uh, really caught me. He goes, God is more compassionate than you may realize. God desires to show mercy rather than wrath. Then why doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's like the fact that he's showing wrath at all isn't that sign of like a very loving God, like, right? Like this, this is classic abusive behavior right there. Like yeah. I want to be kind, but you make me angry. That's what this is saying. I want to be loving, but because you're so bad, because you don't listen, because you didn't set the table right, because you didn't do this, because you didn't do why, that's why I hit you. That's what this is. Not to mention it's even worse than that because God is the one who created those beings in the first place in this story, right? right. <laughs> like, and so. it's and not to beat a dead horse, but I, I Sean seems like a, a good guy, and I'm sure Paul is too. I'm sure they're perfectly nice, moral people who don't litter and everything else, right? And I, I've talked to other Christians and even my from my own Christian past. And I know a lot of really nice, kind people who will, in the right context, defend genocide and slavery. And it's like, if if your belief system is forcing you, a person who would never, ever justify this in any other situation, is trying to find a justification to own another person as property, then maybe you've made a wrong turn. Just maybe, yeah. yeah. Maybe if you're, if you're reading this book, um, because I'm probably going to get this book and, and mark it all up. Um, but if you're, if you're reading this book and you're a Christian, take one step further. Ask yourself, why is this okay? Because the answers he gives don't even come close to a justification in my book. Like, mm -hmm. um, but do that outsider's test of faith and be like, if this were the Hindu, any Hindu God, if this was Allah in the Muslim faith, like, would I be okay with this answer and justification? Right. Yeah. Try to take it out of your own cultural context and imagine somebody else was telling you about a person that they thought was great and then described this person to you. Would you think that was a good person if, if this was any other context? And if the answer is no, maybe there's a right. reason. And, sh and the thing that struck me, we talked about it, but Sean knows this right he knows it because he said in any other context i would think this is bad and yet i just roll right on i, just, I don't know <laughs> yeah. yeah so um i I, th I highly encourage you all to, to check this out listen to it at two times speed like jordan and i do so you don't have to suffer through it that long right. but um there's, we, we've only covered about a third of all the things that they talked about and there's going to be more so uh, if you, if there's something in there that you think we should have covered that was somehow even worse than uh, slavery and genocide. killing babies, yeah, genocide, uh, uh, let us know. Torturing if, your son. Like, if there's any book, uh, if there's any topics you think they missed, you can uh, leave us in a comment here, or even better, after you do that, after you leave a comment here and like and comment, subscribe to the whole YouTube dance, uh, go over to their channel and hit them up, press them on some hard questions, uh, when they talk about it, and don't let them, uh, don't let them off with easy answers. Yeah, because they did say they were going to do a, a stream. I think we can get this out in time before that. So if you listen to us in the next couple of days, go there, ask them the question. Yeah. But also I'd be curious in the comments to see what is your favorite immoral act that God commits? 
Let's see if we can get a a, uh, a running tally. There's this, that's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun in the comments. Yeah, definitely do that. <laughs> and while you're digging through the Bible <laughs> to find your favorite murder story, <laughs> remember you've always got reason to doubt. Peace out.